Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today, we're continuing our series, Confident Faith, with a message titled, Living Well. So let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 19, verses 27 to 38, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Today's sermon is about the effects of compromise. You know, when we become genuinely saved, we belong to Christ, and nothing but nothing can snatch us out of his hand. Now that we're in Christ, the devil, the great enemy of our souls, becomes especially concerned. So he begins to attack us relentlessly. You know, I recently had a conversation with an older man in my church, and our conversation was fascinating. See, he told me that when he was a young man, he thought, you know, when I get older, the temptations that I'm wrestling with are going to get weaker. Instead, he said, the nature of the temptations have changed, but they're as fierce as ever. You know, we reflected on that, that while we're on this earth and while we're in the flesh, we will continue to fight the world, the flesh, and the devil. You know, I once had a seminary professor who told his students that we would continue to struggle against sin, he said, until we'd been dead for an hour. And he smiled and said, never trust warm flesh. And so we struggled with the world, with the flesh and with the devil. But Satan, our ancient foe, will not destroy us. He cannot possess us. We are possessed by the Holy Spirit. And so he takes out the greatest weapon in his arsenal, the most effective he has ever devised against believers. He seeks to get us to compromise our faith. He wants us, while we're holding on to Christ, to cheat just a bit, to take little steps of compromise. I mean, after all, it doesn't matter, he reassures us. But each step of compromise does untold damage. So what it does is take away from the intended life. Today, we come to the last study in the life of Lot, and we're going to see what happens to the compromised life. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, You have made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And that's what God wants for us. He wants us to know the eternal pleasures at his right hand. And Satan wants to remove those pleasures. I've entitled my sermon, Living Well. Living well is only attained in living fully under Christ's dominion, under his kingdom. No compromises. That's where true pleasure is found. But some Christians don't live well. They live poorly. Pleasure, I mean, a veritable river of pleasure coming from the throne of God, that doesn't describe their lives. If they were candid and transparent and honest, they would tell you that their walk of the Christian life was anything but satisfying. It's been a disappointment. So why is that? When Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, he said, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. An interesting description. The Corinthians were in Christ, no doubt about it. And so they longed for Christ. But they were not spiritual. Rather, they were people of the flesh. In the case of Corinth, disputes between believers, insisting on their own rights, failing to safeguard their responses to their culture, all of that still plagued their lives. I can't tell you how many people I know that make all of their decisions based upon human reason and not divine wisdom. So let's resolve to live well. Now, we've been looking at Genesis 19, which is, in fact, the final chapter dealing with Lot's life. We never hear from him again, but we do hear about his descendants. I'm going to say more about that tomorrow. 
And even though we've been studying the life of Abraham, as we have seen, the story veers off in chapter 19 and and tells us about Lot, Abraham's nephew. Indeed, Abraham's concern for Lot and Lot's decisions in life form the concern of this chapter. Now, if you listened yesterday, you heard me describe Lot as a righteous and yet a compromised man. And by that, I meant that he loved God. He wanted to make a difference in his culture. He did not adopt the values of his culture. He was ministry-focused. His righteous soul was agonized over the evil around him. That's why the Bible calls him righteous. But he was not lavish towards God. Because of that, he was not driven forward in a life by the pleasure of knowing God. You see, Lot, unlike Abraham, never walked with God in terms of working out that walk or in terms of safeguarding that all his longings would be fixed on God. And so he allows an incipient love for Sodom to creep into his soul. Perhaps it was imperceptible at first, but it became all too apparent later. Now, before we describe him after Sodom, let's read Genesis 19, 27 to 28. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like a smoke of a furnace. Remember when this story began, it began with Abraham pleading with God over the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And when the prayer ended, Abraham didn't know the future of those two cities. Would 10 righteous people be found in the city? He doesn't know, but he, as the man appointed to bless the nations, seeks the well-being of Sodom. And now perhaps moved by some kind of a premonition, he stands overlooking the plain where the cities lie. We also find from the next chapter that shortly after this event, perhaps even it was the next day, he will leave Mamre. But on this day, as he looks towards Sodom and Gomorrah, he sees columns of smoke rising. He must then conclude that the loss of life has been total. No one is left. Of course, we know from reading this account that Lot and his two daughters have been spared, but Abraham at this point doesn't know that. Because Lot is never mentioned again in the book of Genesis, one wonders whether Abraham and Lot ever connected again. Here's the final outcome of evil. It's just destruction. So let's continue to read Genesis 19:29. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now here for the first time we read of the impact of Abraham's prayer. Lot was, as we have seen, a compromised man. Perhaps without Abraham's prayer, Lot would have been lost. And certainly, Lot was not a man who was living well. If anything, the early part of today's text reminds us of the power of praying for others. Moms and dads praying for their sons and daughters, or praying for their relatives, or praying for dear friends, all of these kinds of prayers are not without effect. Perhaps, although the text doesn't tell us this, but perhaps Abraham has never stopped praying for Lot. And the real reason Lot was not overcome by evil was his faithful uncle interceding on his behalf, and that the great God of heaven heard his prayers and through his spirit safeguarded Lot's affections and prevented him from succumbing to Sodom's attempt to capture his soul. I mean, all that to say intercessory prayer is of great effect. Mums and dads never stop. Well, let's continue to read. Genesis 19, 30 to 32. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hill with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. 
So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. The firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. Now, when you read something like that, it might seem that my sermon title is very inappropriate. A man living in a cave, getting drunk, committing incest with his two daughters is hardly living well. Yet I've called this sermon Living Well. But this this description of what has become of Lot, well, it's horrible. I mean, think of him as a man in despair. But hear me now. This is really the point. He's not living well. I mean, how do you think Lot ended up like that? In fact, that's the question that many of us ask about ourselves. I mean, how did I end up as I am? How did my marriage get into such bad shape? How did my faithfulness to God take such a tumble? How did I get so far away from God? What happened to me? See, some of us are just not sure. A number of years ago, while in Chicago, I was attending a church on Sunday morning, and and I had the opportunity to hear the testimony of a, a young, attractive woman who happened to have made the newspapers all over North America. She had been the secret mistress of the Democratic frontrunner for the presidency of the United States. A newspaper reporter had found out about her secret affair and had published it for all to see, causing that presidential candidate to instantly lose his bid to make it to the White House. And there was this woman that Sunday morning giving her testimony. She said that she woke up one morning and she found her name splashed across every single newspaper in the United States and asked herself in amazement, how did I get to be like this? Like a blonde bimbo who brought down a future president of the United States. You see, she had grown up in a Christian home. She had accepted Christ at an early age. She had been baptized. She had lived out the Christian life. She asked herself, how did I get to be this woman that I read about in the paper? And the rest of her story was the story of her journey back to what she had lost. But it reminded me how easy it is for each one of us to take our eyes off of Christ and to somehow find ourselves not living well at all, but living in unrecognizable ways. Celebrate 60 years of Back to the Bible Canada in 2018. 60 years of ministry that took place because of your prayers and support. In celebration, we'll be announcing a number of events, activities, programs, firsts, and special resources. The first of those is our 60th anniversary series with founder Theodore Epp and Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld. I know you'll be impacted by the sound teaching and inspired by the heart of Theodore Epp for this ministry and the ongoing faithfulness to his original mission and vision. And as our gift to begin the celebrations, we want to send you this very special five-message series for free. Just ask. And for those who can remember 30, 40, 50 years of ministry ago, there may be also some special moments to stir your memory. So call for your copy or to make a ministry gift at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. How easy it is to see our own commitments unravel until we hardly recognize ourselves anymore. It begins in small compromises in the little things. 
It begins when we're not lavish towards God, when we go through the motions and still live differently from our culture, but something is gone. Can we be assured this is never going to happen to us, that we can always live well? Examining the life of Lot really is an examination of that which leads us to a description of spiritual compromise. This is the story of a man who sought to become wealthy, made compromises, and finally ended up being a man living in a cave. How did it come to that? A man who followed his uncle Abraham on this wild journey of faith, this holy pilgrimage in which God was going to bless the whole world. Yet how his life is different. He's now alone because his wife has died at the hands of God. He's old. He's afraid. He has no money because everything he once had has been burned up in Sodom. He has no future. We find out that he's easily enticed to spend the evening drinking to excess, even to the point that he doesn't know what he's doing. He's become an alcoholic. That's a description of Lot. He might have asked himself, how did I get this way? How did I stray that far? But outside of his bad living arrangement, how would we describe Lot? I want to give two descriptive phrases which, in my opinion, are always the description of the compromised man or woman. You know, the details may differ, but these two things are always there. So first, a compromised man or woman is always haunted by fears. Look again at verse 30. Now, Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. See, that's how Lot got into the cave. Now, you're going to remember that the two angels came to Lot's house and told him that they were going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. The outcry of the sins of that place had come before God. Lot knew that it was wicked, and he had never succumbed fully to the evil. So the angels tell him to get out as fast as he can. Flee to the mountains, they say. And Lot, rather than following their instructions and running, rather began to negotiate with him about staying in a small town nearby. And miraculously, the angels granted his request and spared the town of Zoar, even though it presumably was as evil as Sodom and Gomorrah. So why didn't Lot do exactly what the angels told him to do? Well, the answer, because he was afraid. He was motivated by fear. I mean, that's why he didn't obey God. If I do what God tells me, what's going to happen then? I I might die. Instead of immediately trusting, he's consumed with doubt and fear. Initially, he was afraid he would die in the mountains. Why then does he eventually move to the mountains and live in a cave? Because he's afraid he's going to die in Zoar. That's the answer. He makes two equally stupid decisions because of fear. You see, it seems that when we now encounter Lot living in a cave, He's a man who is easily haunted by an imagination of what might happen to him, and he's haunted by the wrath of God. He's fallen on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember, he has witnessed a picture of the great and terrible judgment that will yet one day come upon the whole earth. See, individuals who engage in spiritual compromise are individuals who are not obedient to the Lord, but work out their own compromises. Then after they've disobeyed and their conscience gets the better of them, they panic and make numerous and often very bad decisions. Some people simply walk away from the Lord. So let me give you an example. Israel was specifically told by God not to choose a king. And then they disobeyed, and after a while, they realized how sinful they had been. And listen to Samuel's counsel. For Samuel 12, 20 to 21. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You've done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. 
Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. See, some people, after they have sinned, start making terrible decisions. And why? Because they're afraid. For Lot, I suspect that he was plagued with a fear of divine judgment. He was naturally afraid of the anger of God. See, sin produces that in us, and we become uncertain around God. We know he abhors sin, so we live under a cloud. We fear what he will do, and so we run from him. We don't go to him in prayer. After all, our relationship with him is broken, so what do we do? We stop reading our Bible. We drop out of church. The cycle of fear begins to deepen. We fear our own death because we're not sure what will happen when we meet God. We're afraid when tragedy strikes, maybe God is angry with us. There are a great many Christians who know the nature of God and are afraid because they know something is not right in them. 1 John 4 verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. What a wonderful feeling to never fear the wrath of God because we're convinced that Christ has borne our wrath in our place. To go to God in repentance rather than to make a knee-jerk decision out of fear, this is a great blessing. It is the mark of living well. But when we're out of the will of God, we lose that certainty. But that's not all. Lot is first haunted by fears, but second, we find him also descending into unbelief. I want you to go back to 19 verses 20 and 21. After the angels have told him to flee Sodom, we read Lot saying, Behold, this city, that is the city of Zoar, is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. And by the way, the name Zoar simply means small, but but let's not be distracted. There's a promise. God would not destroy Zoar. He would not overthrow it. Lot would be safe there. Even though it was a concession from God, it still was a promise from God. And what we find here is that Lot is finding it hard to make decisions based upon the promises of God. That's why he moves into a cave, not just because he's afraid. He moves because he does not believe. God promised him he would be fine there. He needs to reach deep down in his soul and believe. The same really can be said about Lot's daughters. On the one hand, their decision to get their father drunk and then lie with him was based upon their own fear. It's a bit like, like father, like daughter. Look at verse 31. The firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Translation, we're never going to get married. We're never going to have children. We'll never meet an appropriate man. We're from the cursed city of Sodom. Everyone will stay clear of us. We are now branded. And so motivated by their fear, they commit incest with their father. And there is also a faith element here. God will not look after us. We've got to take matters into our own hands. See, there's a lesson from this horrible picture that we should not forget. 
The chief reasons why Christians fall into sin is that we discount the promises of God. The promise is that he has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. The promise is that he intends our long-term good. The promise is that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. Did you hear that? All of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Instead, when we will not believe, we are driven by fears and make our decisions based on our own reasoning. That's the theme behind the entire book of Judges. The book of Judges covers Israel's dark ages when life became cheap and people retreated deeply into ignorance, into prejudice, revenge, and lawlessness. The book simply says, in those days Israel had no king and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that's what Lot's daughters did. They did what was right in their own eyes. And so since we're talking about living well, let me speak to those of you who are, well, let me say, in some kind of a cave of your own. You have come to Christ, but you're driven by fears and doubts, and those fears and doubts seem to have their way with you. Let me again remind you of the words I've read before, 1 Samuel 12, verse 20. Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You've done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And then further, all the way to verse 22. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. No matter where you find yourself today, do not fear. Go back to the promises and simply say to your soul, I believe. And with that, you will live well. John, I found it interesting today that yesterday we sort of talked about, you know, having our feet in two worlds or in two lands. And today it seems like because of uh, Lot's fear, he actually ended up in no man's land. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I mean, I can't imagine that, you know, when Lot and Abraham first had that quarrel between them about, you know, where their herds were going to graze and so forth. And, and then Lot takes the advantage of, I think, of his uncle, and he chooses the best land that Lot could ever have looked down the road and said, you know, I'm going to lose everything I have in this world and end up living in a cave. I don't think he could have possibly conceived of that. And yet that is what happened. And, and perhaps it's a good lesson for all of us. The only thing that ultimately matters is to say that unless the Lord is our highest good, we will lose everything that we have. I mean, you know, death's going to come and we're going to lose it anyway. So hold on to the promises of God. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow for more of the series, Confident Faith, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. As we begin 2018, we want to thank all of those who support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada as a partner to tell monthly partner. Your regular commitment allows for the essentials of ministry to take place, and we're so grateful. 2018 begins a celebration of our 60th anniversary of ministry in Canada, and the giving of every partner has made this milestone possible. Perhaps you've never given, or, or maybe two or three times a year. Maybe this is the year you become a partner to tell monthly partner. Our commitment will be to continue to provide the Bible teaching you expect, but more, 
more programs, reaching more people, using more mediums than ever before, while remaining faithful to the mission and legacy established 60 years ago by our founder, Theodore Epp. Become our next Partner to Tell monthly partner today. Call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.